Just checking. Are we live? Are we live? Oh, hi there. <laughs> I'm reading a lot of Arthurian literature right now, just kind of for fun and for research. And the thing about it is- a- An opportunity to talk about the dating simulator of the year, uh, Baldur's Gate 3. One thing you got to <laughs> know about Dale Kingsville, she loves a beverage. Because I had a stop off in Sydney. Ugh. Okay. Oh, hey, fingers crossed for a all four of us live Eldritch Lorecast at Gen Con 2024. If the egos of the people that run it would get out of the way, it could be as great a gaming experience as Gen Con. All topped off by what I hear is a truly abysmal Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> that thing was horrible. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this year's edition of the Ellie's, the Eldritch Lawcast Awards. My name is Ben Byrne, joined as always by Sean Merwin, James Hake, Dale Kingsmill. And at the end of 2023, the second full year of the Eldritch Lawcast, we like to we like to take a look back at the the year that was and give out some awards, which are the most prestigious awards in all the the universe. Uh, I was going to try to downplay it then, but I decided not to. Um, starting with, let's just dive straight in. That's right. This is not the Game Awards. We don't have advertisements constantly <laughs> through this uh, uh, podcast here, although actually some of these awards might be advertisements. But anyway, starting with the Let Me Tell You About My Character Award for a personal slash professional highlight from the year from each of us personally, starting with Mr. James Hake. And put on the spot right out of the gates. Um, <laughs> my my professional highlight this year, uh, th- th- there are many of them which I simply can't talk about right now. And that does make me very sad. Uh, but uh, the ones which I can talk about, uh, and I, I might be stepping on the toes of a later, uh, later topic, but it's got to be Ghostfire's Enchanting Emporiums. It's the biggest right. project with the most writers that I've worked on in quite some time. And, you know, bigger numbers rarely means better in gaming, I've come to find. But when it comes to a group of writers like this, the process of making this book, uh, no matter how popular it ends up being, uh, has been the highlight of it for me. Because, and I'm sure I've talked about this before, uh, it's a group of writers who I met at Big Bad Con uh, now just over a year ago in 2022, who are many of whom are new to the field or who are kind of seeking to have that first big break into the field. They mm. are not all Americans. Some of them are outside of the country. Uh, and they are people who were in a very similar position to where I was when I started doing this in 2017. And Chris Perkins gave me and James Intercasso uh, a level of mentorship that I, I've come to find is very, mm. very rare in this field. So the, the the professional achievement here is really being able to step into that role as a mentor rather sure, than sure. as someone who gets a brief and creates a project. It's bringing a lot of people into the fold, working very closely with them. And this now extends to, uh, you know, some of the higher profile people on this project too, right? Like everyone knows uh, that Ginny D is on Enchanting Emporiums and she was wonderful. She's got a lot of talent and it was great to kind of bring her into uh, into a higher level of design capability from the already fairly high level that she was already at. But mm. every single one of these people, if you don't know their names now, I guarantee you in three years you will because they're doing great work. And I want to see this as a springboard for them 
to start doing good work. Let's kind of dovetail, I think, with uh, uh, what I uh, want to mention in this particular category. But first, I want to hear from Sean Merwin. Uh, what would be your highlight of the year? I'm sort of in the opposite position that James is in that I worked on a lot of smaller projects this year, whereas in the past, I might have worked with a lot of writers. I got to do a lot of my own writing and development work more than design work, which if you don't know the difference is design work is you're writing, writing the stuff. Development work is you are going through and you're making sure that all of the rules work and, and it will play as a game well. But I got to do a lot of development work. But the one thing that I did this year that uh, I was really excited to do was work on this Peril and Pinebrook uh, project mm. for new players, where I got to really undesign D&D, uh, which, which, was, <laughs> which was kind of cool. It was fun. It's was something I've wanted to do for a while. And getting to do it with Wizard's blessing was was a uh, was 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 fun and it was a highlight. Uh, Dale Kingsmill, what about your very self? I think that I would um, be lying if I didn't say that my highlight was getting to uh, play on stage at Gen Con in a Brennan Lee mm. Mulligan game. Uh, and more than anything, to see Amy Dallin, who I've known for so many years, get to do just exactly what she wanted to do with that project um and it was it was incredible to see her just i i mean this, I, i'm questioning my choice of words but i'm gonna say it anyway take the money and run you know she was given a budget and she made something really <laughs> really exceptionally cool with it um and i just think that she did a phenomenal job and getting to to meet a bunch of the the game designers and writers who'd worked on uh, Glory of the Giants as well. And also playing a spellcaster while sitting next to Jeremy Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> I have to concur. My highlight of the year would probably be uh, not just Gen Con, but kind of the, the conventions I've been able to do this year. Gen Con and PAX Unplugged for the first time. PAX Australia is always a good time, uh, especially because I don't have to get on a 24-hour flight to get there. Uh, I just have to get in a 20-minute drive. Um uh, but the conventions, getting to see uh, each of you in person uh, at different occasions has been uh, really, really great this year. Uh, and then just dovetailing with what James was saying before, honestly, getting to do a little bit more design work, a little bit more writing. And it was kind of funny. I think I mentioned this on the Lawcast before, but I was working on uh, Professor Terence Myron von Kufen for James at the same time that I was getting some uh, uh, collaboration with Sean on uh, some design work we did for a YouTube video and then got feedback for both of those projects virtually at the same time and was just like, do better, you just getting like the crap kicked out. Like I was, I was Iron Man between Captain America and the Winter Soldier just getting knocked around. But it was uh, honestly, fan that doesn't sound very fun, but it was fantastic because it was like, ah, they're right. I do need to change <laughs> Apply that. Apply for your mentorship today. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just, uh, it, you know, I'm very uh, self-taught from using the SRD and I was like, I know how to write fifth edition content. I know, I know what, you know, how to structure all this. Uh, I did not. Uh, and it was good learning where those weaknesses were. No, I agree. And I, I think that it's also incredibly valuable, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. where you learn the real stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Went to the school of design knocks. Um, uh, but as we continue to look back <laughs> on this exhausting year, uh, the category is a little bit different uh, to what they were last year to try to be more of a, a celebration of the year that was despite uh, the... <laughs> 
the hardships, the ups and downs uh, that we sort of all went through as an industry. Um, I don't <laughs> think the winner of this next award is going to be in question, but let's talk through all of the nominees anyway. That award being the Tavern Rumours Award for the biggest news of the year. Uh, and my contenders being uh, third-party content coming to D&D Beyond uh, at the very tail end of the year uh, with Ghostfire Gaming landing and then Critical Role uh, landing on D&D Beyond a little bit earlier. Uh, the publication of the Orc license uh, being something that might be pretty changing for the industry going forward. Uh, Pathfinder doing their 2E core rulebook re-release. Uh, the kind of lead up to 5E 2024, including the unearthed arcanas uh, that we have been reading through apparently very poorly, uh, according to our comment section over the last 12 months. Um, uh, the SRD finding its way into Creative Commons. and then. All of these things triggering, arguably, off of January uh, during the OGL crisis to to cast our minds back to those heady days. Um, uh, how, do, how do we feel about all of that now? I love that the OGL crisis has a name. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that we all kind of just started calling it that. And no one sat down and was like, oh, we should think of a cool name. It just kind of organically grew out of what was happening. And yeah. I think it's so telling that that's like, ah, yes, the OGL crisis. We'll, we will all remember the OGL crisis that made 2023 the longest year <laughs> since the pandemic, I suppose. <laughs> um, I, I know that the pandemic was what, last year? It's been a long... It's, these, these three years have been a decade. Anyway, um, <laughs> if I were to uh, step away from the crisis aspect for a minute and just look at mm -hmm, one of its mm -hmm. many babies, the thing that took me by surprise most was definitely um, the fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons rules going into co Creative Commons. And amongst all of that, that was not something I saw coming. And, oh, the delight in my little contract reading heart when I heard the news. The thing about the 5e <laughs> rules going into Creative Commons is that it was such an impactful change that it almost feels like it doesn't matter anymore. It's like, I, I, I think about it and it changed the landscape so completely that yes. it's almost reset it back to square one. And it's like, I, I don't even think about sure. it anymore. Like it's, it's the only way this crisis could have been resolved in a way that doesn't feel like everything was ruined forever basically. Yeah. I mean, the, the ground beneath our feet was changing so rapidly and so completely that, um, you know, uh, I, I, I can't even remember what we were predicting. I can't remember. I can't remember what we say on this podcast the week after we've recorded an episode, let alone one back in Jan, pardon me, back in January. So to probably nobody's surprise. Um, but I, yeah, the, the, uh, rules going into or the 5e rules going into the creative commons um just changed the landscape again so completely because by that point cobol press had had you know raised the black flag and uh, i think they were already talking about the orc license even if it hadn't had a name by that point and you know all these plans got put into place and that it was immediately such a strong got move. shoken up again. Yeah. yeah. And then and then Wizards of the Coast just came in with that Udo reverse card. Yeah. I could not believe my eyes. You've like, activated everyone, my trap card. Everyone canceled their 5e stuff. MCDM canceled their 5e stuff. Cobalt Press canceled yeah. their officially 5e stuff. Uh 
you know, we were looking at canceling our 5e stuff and thank goodness we didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so, uh, you know, Black Flag being a project that they famously had in development about six months before, um, you know, this all happened and who knows what that original, th- those original um, you know, design documents would have looked like. Who knows what Black Flag would be or, or Tales of the Valiant would be in a world where the OGL situation didn't happen at all. Um, MCDM, I get the impression they have. I, I believe they said they'd been working on their game for a little bit before they actually announced it. I don't Is know whether correct, they had Dale? been working on it, but they had been planning on it. They, they had been saying for, I think, sure. years at that point that they would eventually. I, I know that um, philosophically Colville has for a very long time been... Uh, he he doesn't like having his stuff reliant on someone else's product, um, which yeah, I think is gotcha. fair enough. So gotcha. they just used it as a as a triggering. Yeah, I feel they would have done what they've done, and that's the, their situation that is ongoing, unfolding at the moment. is is a whole another uh, uh, kettle of fish, so it's to speak. Um, yeah, a golden kettle of golden fish. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I didn't want kettle of fish to sound negative. That's why I, I, I clarified. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Is that a negative uh, word? Um, but yeah, I feel they would have done what they were going to do eventually, anyway, right? Um, uh, whether as yeah, we, we you know uh, many third parties weren't really in a position to make that that right turn immediately, and so you know through ongoing conversations that were had uh, uh, throughout the year, um, I, I would not have predicted we would end up where we are today. Um, at all, and certainly not in like February, March of this year. And and the funny thing is, yeah, people who don't aren't in the business would never even have known this was going on, right? The people who are playing the mm. India home mm. for them, it's it's all about twenty twenty four, right? For them, it's how is my game changing? And mm. so if we if we remove ourselves from the drama, I have a I call it the OGL, and then there's a c word. Uh, and it rhymes with bluster cluck, and that's what I call it. Okay. But if if we remove the drama of that and how absolutely and rightfully we all went mad for a while trying to figure out what was going on, the fact that 2024 D&D is going to look a lot like 2014 D&D was the biggest news to me because mm. then I could stop worrying about what was going to happen and I could focus on doing my job and enjoying the game mm. rather than trying to predict where of all the places the game could go, where it might go. We know where it's going now. It's going in the exact same direction that it's been going, mm. which, which was, which was a huge sigh of relief. Hopefully I'm predicting this now and they come out in 2024 and it'll be you know, some strange game with, a ball and jacks or something but uh we'll uh we'll hope that they actually follow through with that i hope and so i'm great at jacks exactly <laughs> exactly i do also feel the need to mention i feel like i feel like my glowing expression while talking about um the ogl crisis of wizards of the coast makes it seem like i'm like wow what an admirable company and i just do feel the need to throw out there i'm not admiring uh, wizards of the coast and i think that they made some scummy choices in the ogl crisis i'm admiring the specific individual people the the team that worked on that back and forth because that was a masterful play yeah, yeah for the yeah, for, for, for sure. the people playing close attention you come to realize that 
they is not one person. They are a lot of people and there will be ebbs and there will be flows of who has control of the decision-making at large corporations or even small companies. And Mm. for every season, there is a, there's a Bible verse or something. And I'm sure it applies if I actually was religious in any way, shape or form. Look, I I think, you know, if I'm smiling through this whole conversation as well, like it's exciting, right? Regardless of the drama, regardless of if we had, you know, ended up in a darker timeline and thank goodness we didn't for for so many people's livelihoods, you know, our own included, um, there there is an excitement to it. I remember having a lot of excitement. Uh, This is going to be a a bit of a weird comparison, although I keep making it uh, through the years, but like when a console launch changes um, uh, or or a a console generation changes, I should say, on the video game side of things, it's really exciting to watch the big players jockey for position and make moves around the price point of their console and and the games that they're going to bring out at launch and the the policies they have around game sharing or whatever it happens to be and and the drama that erupts with with um supply and demand and and that sort of thing and can you even get your hands on one of these consoles all of that is just exciting to watch and i think that you know i said it back in january february benjamin riggs is probably going to publish another book in like 2 years time that is going to be all about 2023 and it's been for all the anxiety really fun to be part of the industry during uh 2023 uh from a personal perspective and maybe that's very easy to say having ended up uh kind of in a very good version of the timeline uh uh, personally uh, and professionally but uh but yeah it's just it's whoa what a year it's been a long one i think james you said you know it's like the year before an election year but um yeah look at that it is Um, so, uh, yeah, the Tavern Rumors Award for the biggest news of the year, uh, as it turned out, not the best, not the worst, uh, but nevertheless, the news of the year being, uh, the OGL crisis and everything that kind of unfolded since then. Uh, well, well done to all involved. (laughs) Uh, moving on to... The Dragon's Horde Award, uh, which is the best RPG product this year, uh, which I doubt we'll find consensus on because we haven't played every RPG product this year. So it's really going to be like some great RPG products from this year. The caveat I have is it has to be released in folks' hands this year. So it can't be something that went to crowdfunding this year. Sorry, Ryoko's and Crooked Moon and and, uh, the MCDM game. It has to be something that players had in their hands this year that they've gotten the opportunity to play with. Well, I've got one, and it is uh, it is not on your list of nominees, so I'm coming Ooh. in from left field. I am highlighting Fabula Ultima, which won a gold any, I think, for best RPG this year. Uh, the tabletop Japanese role-playing game inspired by JRPGs like Final Fantasy and the Tales series, Chrono Trigger, Dragon Quest, all of those game series that, uh, you know, it's a biased pick because I grew up on JRPGs more than I grew up on Mm. Fallouts and Baldur's Gates. And it does a truly fantastic job of sealing the tone of that style of game where it's, it's not just that it's over the top. 
it's not just that they've got wild hair. There's a certain ethos to that style of story with its, you know, ridiculous 120 hour campaigns and stuff like that, that I never really thought I would see in a tabletop game. Um, so it gets my pick for capturing a genre that I never thought would hit tabletop. How, how does it capture the JRPG vibe specifically? Because for me, a lot of like artwork in an RPG book can set the tone, but you can imagine your world in a JRPG aesthetic playing, you know, any game theoretically, if you want to. Well, the artwork is a good way. It's a good place to start. I think all RPGs kind of live and die by their artwork a little bit. There's something about, uh, there's kind of a smooth back and forth combat to it. Uh, you know, it's based on RPGs where you'll kind of be wandering around an overworld and then you will hit a little enemy and it'll go, and you'll go into a battle phase sort of like that. Um, and without without saying that it feels like playing a video game, it captures that sort of there's a sort of tactileness to its combat that I would say that tactileness, not tacticalness. There's a there's a there's a feeling of being able to uh, sense the flow back and forth of the way it plays. You know, D&D is a turn based game. <laughs> I feel like I can't really talk about this game very well because it's it's something that I only got once I started playing it as opposed sure. to reading through it. The the art and the aesthetic does a great job of selling what it wants you to feel in in the read. And then when it when you get to the actual gameplay and you see the sides lined up and you're able to have that uh uh, Final Fantasy-like turn-based back-and-forth sort of tennis-like volley of combat, that's when mm. everything about it clicks into place with the elemental weaknesses and all that sort of thing. If you've ever played a game like Pokemon or Persona, uh, it's got that sort of mechanical sensibility to it. For me, I would say uh, it, it may not be the MCDM game, but Flea Mortals is finally in the hands of every last backer. And what a splash it made in terms of um, recontextualizing monster design, encounter design. Um, really mad props to the MCDM team for Flea Mortals. Uh, I also, out of Wizards of the Coast, the one that got me excited enough to actually go out and buy it, which maybe this is a terrible thing to admit, rarely happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was excited for Fandelva Below. I, I like the idea of, of taking this uh, beginner adventure that so many people are familiar with and, and revamping it, giving it new life and giving us high level adventure as well, which sure. is something that we uh, rarely see out of Wizards of the Coast. So uh, stoked about Fandelva Below. And then I would give honorable mentions as well to um, Golden Vault, Radiant Citadel, some great writers working on those that I want to see more from. Uh, and also I don't, I, I don't remember this being one of the other categories, so I can take it back if it is one of the other categories. But, um, as far as products go, Candela Obscura is a beautiful product. It is a gorgeous product. I'm amazed to see it go from like announcement to release as quickly as yeah, it did without yeah. crowdfunding. Um, yeah. so as a, as a product, very, very impressed with Candela Obscura. Candela's definitely, like, I, I put it on the, the nominations list for the, for this category, um, and it's one of the things I haven't played yet, I haven't gotten to try. Every time I see the artwork from it, that kind of like creepy, gothic uh, aesthetic on white instead of on black uh, is really evocative uh, to me. 
So every time I see anything to do with it, I, I really enjoy it, but I haven't gotten to play it yet. So it's kind of on my wish list maybe for next year. If, if you are into DMing or creating monsters, I am going to go with Forge of Foes. It's a book by Mike Shea, Scott Gray, and Taya Sabadia, and it really breaks down how do monsters work? Why do they work the way they do? How should you use them in encounters and how can you make them? Using like real math to, uh, to work in the encounters that you build. So 129 pages, not too long, but it's packed full of great content. And the other thing that I would, I would uh, nominate, and this sort of is, is uh, emblematic of things being done by this company or by companies like them, and it is the, let me grab it. Ooh. <gasps> the alien starter set. Oh, yeah, of course. That was this year. Free League uh, is doing a marvelous job of grabbing every single IP out there and making a game for it. And I have a feeling that they are doing something that no other company other than Wizards can do. And that is bring new people into the hobby and teach them how to play role-playing games. Sure. Not D&D specifically, but role-playing games in general. Because this starter set for Alien is incredible. It does mm. such a great job of explaining the game. It gives you everything that you need to play it. And it you can't run a huge campaign with just this. But it introduces people who might know about the Alien franchise from the original movie way back when to all of the uh, sequels that have come out. And that's my hope for the industry as a whole is someone other than wizards being able to bring your average person out there who may not consider themselves a gamer and make them a gamer. And Modifius mm. does similar things by grabbing these IPs like Star Trek and Dune and uh, Fallout, and bringing those people who might be gamers, but not tabletop role-playing gamers, to the table with some wonderful products. Yeah, I think Artel Saurian do kind of a similar job as well with Cyberpunk and um, mm -hmm. uh, the Witcher role-playing game. Uh, there you go. Um, particularly Cyberpunk, I suppose, worked in reverse order because I was a tabletop RPG first, but I have to imagine that sales of that video game and the, the Netflix series might have created another, I don't want to say backdoor, but another door into uh, the hobby of tabletop RPGs. I, I do need to check out uh, more of the monstery things that came out this year. Uh, Forge of Foes, um, particularly, because that, that sounds like I just need that for my personal development, my professional development. Um, but I also really enjoyed the the little um, uh, uh, supplements that were going up on D&D Beyond, the one that I'm thinking of. They, they were putting up the monstrous compendiums the one I'm thinking of, I I'm not going to remember the name of it, but it's like the Fae-themed one from one of the Magic the Gathering sets I think it was themed around. And those were just some fun Fae monsters. Uh, a lot of the Fae in the monster manual uh, are famously underpowered or just like a hit point because they're meant to be a small pixie or something. And if you want formidable Fae, um, that monstrous compendium, I think it's volume four, Drain, something like that uh, it's called. Um, uh, that That's a really good one. Um, I was kind of thrilled, well, to be honest. Formidable Fae just sounds like one of your YouTube videos. 
that 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 was deliberate. Thanks for the free hey. plug. Go check out our video on formidable fairies. Um, uh, how to make fairies formidable. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but but I was kind of thrilled that uh, layers of Etheris. It wasn't the intention when we when we put that product onto D and D Beyond. It, it was thought of. We were thinking of it as an adventure module, but it's actually kind of a monster manual with adventures attached to it. Um, uh, so I was kind of thrilled that it fit in that same uh, kind of category of like, you just need some more themed monsters, go grab one of those uh, for relatively cheap. If I can get on my soapbox for a minute, I think all monster manuals should be that way. Forget this sort of setting plus adventure approach Wizards has. I want the monster manual plus adventure approach because every D&D yes. monster is a quest hook or several in yes. and of itself that's the point of a monster I'm, I'm reading a lot of arthurian literature right now just kind of for fun and for research and the thing about it is all of those monsters are a story all of those myths mm. are a story mm. Mm. i mean greek mythology is very much the the same yeah um oh we've got to ta- have a discussion later dale about mythic battles pantheon versus mythic battles ragnarok these two uh <laughs> board games that oh, i have I no thought- idea if you have any experience um, but Dale, why uh, did you start doubling over when I talked about Arthurian literature? I'm just writing down the sentence. I've been reading Arthurian literature for fun and for research. Oh, oh <laughs> save that for later. Save that for later because I have some James Hake quotes as well that uh, <laughs> that I want to pull out. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree completely in terms of the the story is the monster. And when I when I look at an adventure module or or even a, a reference book, a supplement, a splat book that's uh, engineered towards GMs. The first thing I do when I walk into a bookshop or a game store is flick to the back and see how many monsters are going to be back there that mm. I'm going to, to want to throw into my game. So I agree completely. Um, all of those nominated uh, for the Dragon's Horde Award and they're all winners um, because they're all the number one RPG product in our eyes. <laughs> but there can only be one winner for this next category. I'm planning the flag right now. The Wondrous Item Award for the best non-tabletop RPG tabletop RPG release. Uh, ah. Some examples of this being, uh, this was the year Baldur's Gate 3 uh, absolutely swept the Game Awards recently um, and swept into our hearts. Uh, uh, the D&D movie, Honor Among Thieves, uh, I, I watched that again on the plane back from Philadelphia. That is a quality movie that still stands up six months later. Uh, Candela Obscura, the streams. I was going to do a streaming category, but I know I don't think we as a podcast watch a lot of live streams, but the Candela Obscura one kind of stood out to me particularly as uh, perhaps deserving in this category. Uh, D&D Adventurer. Who knows? Maybe some of us caught some episodes on on, on that streaming service. Uh, Tabletop News would belong on this in this category, I suppose, as well. Um, and any ancillary product, your, your D&D-themed scotches, your your D and D themed um, beard uh, oils, you know any of that you can throw in there. Uh, what are our thoughts? What's our number one for this year? I mean, how can we not say Baldur's Gate, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, can, I can't. Even I haven't even played it, else. and I would say Baldur's Gate three. <laughs> <laughs> I have some non Baldur's Gate 3 honorable mentions <laughs> that were not on Ben's list because honorable mention to all of those. But I also want to shout out specifically the D&D Lego set. Okay, yes. That was this yeah, year. We talked about that last year at the Ellie's as, as part of the news. No, yeah. that was yeah, last year. 
No, no, no. The Lego set, I think, released this year, so it would count okay. for this category, but it was part of the news category last uh, Anyway. All right. Go, well, you, my it, second it like the- one was definitely this year. It was specifically the the movie cup for TNT. <laughs> Honor among thieves. The dice tower cup. The dice tower cup. Exactly. Yeah, nice. I'm still so bitter that I don't have one. Oh, so many people looked for the D20 popcorn bucket as well with the lid on it. That was uh, nice. I just, I love, I love me a beverage. One thing you got to know about Dale Kingsville, she loves a beverage. And uh, if I could have <laughs> the movie cup for D and D that was also a dice tower, it would bring me so much joy. I didn't even know that Lego set came out this year. Look at this little beholder. It's so cute. What's the video game where you go around and you hit things with blocks and you build things? And- Minecraft! Minecraft! D&D Minecraft! Yes. Was d Minecraft this year? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because they announced that, I want to say, at like uh, one of the early uh, wizard streams at the start of the year. Honestly, this category was an excuse. I, I want to give a, an honourable mention. I know I already mentioned it, but to the D&D movie, I think that really stands up uh, as a great fun um, you know, uh, Chris Pine described it as when they last unearthed him um, as a mix between uh, the Princess Bride and Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was kind of like, all right, I'm not really, that sounds a bit, uh, when uh, uh, I'm on record as saying that sounds a bit uh, on this very podcast, I believe. But after I saw that movie, I was like, he is absolutely he right. right. That is exactly what good. that movie is. <laughs> and it was fantastic. Um, Shout but yeah, out this once is really- again to my main man, Zank. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, those <laughs> scenes are so good. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, uh, uh, a, a, a an opportunity to talk about the dating simulator of the year, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, um, which is what that game is. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I was getting real worried about my dating prospects in my solo game until I finally unlocked Karlak so late. I didn't know Karlak was there. <laughs> right. I was like, finally, someone I can get along with. <laughs> can't touch her but can get along with her that was uh, i've recently unlocked Carlock in a second playthrough as well i will say in my opinion um doing a what do they call it an origin run where you choose one of the characters to play as including the dark urge that feels to me like the way to play Baldur's gate three because when i played yeah, through it originally with my unique when i played through it originally with my unique character your character especially because they don't speak and they have no connecting tissue into the story beyond the Mind Flayer tadpole, you feel like a black hole of character in the story. You feel like you're missing in your own story. Can I ask, if you play as one of the origins, as one of the characters, do all of their, are all of their lines spoken? No, no. Because if you, if you play as one of them just in the normal game, like if you swap to a Starian and then go start a dialogue as a Starian, you your your words are not spoken. Right. Um, they didn't record those. So then how which, come that doesn't feel like a black hole? The the re- simple reason being that because I'm playing as a and I I still like Mass Effect is kind of my uh, I hold that up as like the cinematic RPG like the cinematic western RPG because your lines are spoken the options probably aren't quite as open, obviously, as Baldur's Gate, but it feels like you are engrossed in that world. Your character feels like a central part of it. And they feel present on the screen. Um, playing as a Dark Urge, which is what I'm doing now, which is the way to play that game full stop, um, because you have other things that are happening to your character and because of your character, it feels like you're more ingrained in gotcha. the story itself. So if you're a st- if you're playing as a Starian, I assume 
you still have that quest line to go and and hunt uh, a star. And I haven't played it to the end, so uh, this shouldn't be spoiled. But it feels hopefully. like it's happening to your character rather than your character being the only one that doesn't have anything actually exactly. about them. Okay. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and so playing a Dark Urge has been much more enjoyable than playing just like fighter guy um, who's basically escorting these other bozos around. I I have had uh, I've not played the Dark Urge yet, but my my brother has said that it feels like the canon story in this game. Yeah. If there's a canon route to play in Baldur's Gate 3, it's where you play as Dark Urge. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt I have not felt the sort of black hole of character playing my uh, my custom tab, but it's because I kind of I went out of my way to like write down a backstory before I played the game and it's like, sure. okay, so I'm playing a tiefling rogue entertainer and I want them to go into Bard later. So, well, let's have a story about where I'm a Baldurian who used to do like sort of street performance and it was starting to get really famous. And then I got stabbed in the back by one of my fellow uh, performers and I fell into this life of crime. And then as I was at my lowest point, I got snapped up by the mind player thing. So I'm going to start the game by playing them as really cagey and try and like emotionally unavailable. And then, you know, the, the sort of extremely physical, no, no feelings at first Lazelle romance starts. I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to start a cascade of emotion and trust issues <laughs> that will end up making this person a better person. And then I'll start leveling into Bard. And it's like sure. only by doing work outside of what the game gave me, did I avoid that feeling? And I love having and done that's that. that's role playing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it's, it's a weird feeling for the role playing game to, well, it didn't make me do homework, but it, it made me feel like I wanted to do homework in order mm. to feel like I was role playing in the role playing game. Mm. Right, mm. right, right. I also just want to say I thought it was so funny when Baldur's Gate came out because it's the thing that Sean was talking about, the sources that draw in new players who wouldn't be playing this stuff otherwise. My friend Jesse, who is not a D&D nerd in the slightest, um, just sent me a Snapchat out of the blue that said, Dale, what does Tav mean? <laughs> I was like, it's, it's just a name. It's not an acronym. It's just a name. And he was like, no. But why? Why is the name Tab? And I was like, I I don't know how to explain to you, like, placeholder names. Just the general, like, fantasy name, sound, vibe. I, this is the gulf between us. Anyway. the Along those lines, the best thing that I saw online, I want to say it was Reddit or something like that, but I probably encountered it on Twitter being ported across, was somebody who made, let's say it was a Reddit post saying, like, really enjoying Baldur's Gate. Um, what? tabletop rpg best captures the feeling of playing boulders gate the serious question from this person who had never broken into the hobby before and it was like well i have the perfect answer for you i think actually maybe you mentioned this dale on the law cast uh all those months ago so that might have been where i got that from but i, thought I saw funny. many people say in all seriousness that it was not DD. but the answer to that question oh, is really? not dungeons and dragons fifth edition yeah no it's whatever the the best dating sim uh tabletop rpg is um, Look, saw, I, I'm just gonna... I saw some people say Fate. Fate is the best game to capture the Baldur's Gate 3 yeah, okay. gameplay experience. I believe that. I, I'm gonna I would say agree, this. except that a D20 rolls on the screen, which is still <laughs> mind-boggling to me. You can, you can turn that off if you want. You can turn that off if you want. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3, uh, the clear head and shoulders winner uh, of the best non-TTRPG TTRPG release 
of 2023. Let's hope for some more great ones next year. My fingers are crossed for a TTRPG-themed something. Anyway. Uh, theme park. There you go. Uh, that would be sick, actually, a D&D theme park. Um, I mean, isn't castle. that just Renaissance yeah. fairs? Oh, well, that's Nintendo a good point. did it. Let's have D&D do it. Yes. Next category being an epic adventure. And it certainly was this year. Uh, best convention of the year. Uh, Gen Con, Big Bad Con, Game Hole Con, PAX Unplugged, PAX Australia. Those are the ones I know that at least one of us attended. Uh, are there any other uh, nominations for this category? Uh, of things that you didn't list, uh, I also, uh, only for one day this year, but I did pop down to San Diego Comic-Con uh, and right. and had a great time, you know, because my my favorite things to do at a convention are hit up some panels, hang out with friends, network a little bit at a party. And uh, that's exactly what I got to do. I got to go see Omar play in a Pathfinder 2E panel uh, and then, you know, wander around the floor, see a bunch of people who I hadn't seen in a very long time. And then there was mm. a, a really fun sort of... Um, indie organized uh sort of tabletop rpg mixer that was a really fun mix of it wasn't it wasn't all the same faces that you see at every event which is i realize now kind of a wanky thing to say but um <laughs> but it, no it was really cool not and all I the same to, faces i see at the faces, events that i go to you know, um but uh no i got to meet i met uh kevin from dice cream sandwich i met uh i i met uh the the i, I just met so many people and now my brain is scrambling for all of them at once but it was just really sure. cool to to get to meet a ton of different people that uh i hadn't I hadn't gotten to interact with before. If, if you like playing games, uh, Origins is a convention that can be great. It has been great in the past. If the egos of the people that run it would get out of the way, it could be as, as, as great a gaming experience as Gen Con without the hassle of Gen Con and at a quarter yeah. of the price. Uh, so keep an eye on that if you want to sit down at a table and play games with people. Uh, and Winter Fantasy is always fun. It's very small uh, and mostly Adventurers League focused, but lots of cool people and really laid back. And Fort Wayne, Indiana hates money, so it's uh, very, very cheap. <laughs> we ain't even get that out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, thank you. Not for us. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, th- this was my first time going over to the States. This was my first time leaving the country, uh, honestly. So, uh, Gen Con and PAX Unplugged were- How you've changed. <laughs> how I've changed. Look, I'm not going to lie, Dale. When I was over at PAX Unplugged, I was like, uh, you know, Dale doesn't know it. I can do this. This will be great. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm having so much fun right now. I can do this flight. Gods, the flight home was hard. <laughs> That was that was a hard one, uh, especially because I had a stop off in Sydney. Ugh. Okay, <laughs> that was that was just that was just abysmal, you know. Um, but uh, but honestly, you know, uh, getting to meet people, getting to meet folks who I've kind of known uh, ancillary uh, over the the through through the industry through Twitter or whatever. Uh, hanging out with Anthony Joyce Rivera, uh, mm. who will get a me- another mention in a moment, was a, was a lot of fun. Anthony's a great dude. Um, very welcoming, actually caught up with Omar at PAX Unplugged recently. So just like an industry filled with great folks, uh, 
that um, you can just Actually, hang out with. read that. I got a message from Omar where he was like, yeah, I might be going to a, a what was it, like a Christmas fair with Ben? And I was like, Ben who? And he was like, your Ben. I was like, why are you going to a Christmas fair with Ben? I anyway. Was, I- I was very excited for the Christmas fair. That didn't end up panning you didn't out, get to but go, I got a no. But I got a latte in uh, in America. That was novel uh, as it was because I got a real coffee. Who, who'd have thought they actually served that over there? Um, but the other thing, uh, quite honestly, I remember saying this to you, Joey, when you were here for Pax Oz. Is even though I hadn't seen you in person in a year, just the combination of seeing each of you folks at separate times at the conventions, it became less novel to see you at Pax Oz, which was a really great thing. You know, like mm-hmm. getting to be in person with you folks um, uh, is, is, is highlights of the year, undoubtedly, um, which is awesome. Hey, fingers crossed for a all four of us live Eldritch Lorecast at Gen Con 2024. 2024, you know, no promises, Ellie's here we come. I want it to happen. <laughs> uh, Me too. Though as well. I make no secret of saying the PAX Unplugged is my favorite con of the year. Big Bad Con boldly tilts towards it. Uh, and may may unhorse it, but uh, they're really in a dead heat. Definitely next year, if I do packs like packs unplugged, I'm not going to lie. This year was was a little rough because of the whirlwind that it was mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like arriving there the day before it launched. We had Layers of Etheris go live on on D and D Beyond the day before as well, so that kind of coloured a lot of what that convention was. I barely got to walk the show floor. Um, and I was barely off at the by- convention. <laughs> All topped off by what I hear is a truly abysmal Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> oh my God, that thing was horrible. <laughs> that thing was horrible. Um, my understanding of a, of a Philly cheesesteak now is that it's kind of like an Australian meat pie in bread, except for in pie, right? Um, I don't understand what you just said. <laughs> so imagine just like the so sauce pie. and the, yeah, pie but bread. <laughs> Pie, but imagine you've got the sauce from inside a pie. Yeah. But you, but instead of it being inside a pie, it's the the, the chunky meat sauce, and you put it in bread. I think that's what a you Philly cheesesteak is bread? meant to be, as in like a like a like a roll, like oh. a like a like a oh, like, no. like a. Yeah, uh, I get. <laughs> oh no! But I get that impression from having eaten two things that people told me were like chili uh, Philly cheese steaks. I'm going to say chili fees steaks. The first was a little condiment, and it was almost like a spring roll, like a like a fried mm. spring roll, but it had meat sauce inside of it. And somebody was like, "Oh, that's kind of like a, a chili uh, a Philly cheese steak," and I was like, "Okay." But then I, I like went downstairs at that same restaurant that gravy. same night. And um, well, it's not really gravy, is it? That's inside a meat In pie. A pie? It's more like a, yeah, it very much is. But carry on. All right, well, I'll, he's I'll also agree. talking about the fact that there's meat in the sauce. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so I went down at that same restaurant and got a, a Philly cheese steak, and it was dry, and there was like barely any cheese in it. And as I was eating it, I was like, "This tastes bad." I ate half of it. Then I started eating the other half. I was like, none, none more for me, thanks. And then I think, Joey, uh, you asked, uh, you know, have you gotten any cheese? And I was like, there's no cheese in this Philly cheese steak. And then we found all the cheese had gone up to one end. So I took a bite of that end, get some steak, get some cheese, and it was still disgusting. Um, so t- do not rate Philly cheese steak. Sorry, Philadelphia. Um, please welcome me back next year. Gritty's <laughs> <laughs> coming for you. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry, James Intracasso. Uh, I, 
I don't I don't mean to upset your culture. All that being said, we we are starting to get thin on time here, uh, especially because we've got another podcast to, to record. So let us jump into the uh, Can I Play 2 Award, which I think, Dale, you said last year is more like our um, uh, in memoriam. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, of all the guests that we've had on the Eldritch Lawcast this year. Uh, thanks to each and every one of you. Anyway, moving on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh, some of these folks, you know, are really, really fantastic episodes. We had Luna on, uh, Luna LeBoffin on twice. Always love having Luna on. Uh, Scott Fitzgerald Gray came on to talk about Valica, which was really great. Uh, Adam Rady from, uh, Tabletop News, uh, coming on to talk all about Tabletop News before they went to Kickstarter. Uh, we had Teos, I suppose. Mm. Um, uh, no, I loved having Teos on. It was great having Teos on to dump on Pathfinder for an hour. That was fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Adam Carnavale, I can't believe you've done this to me, Dale, to introduce me to Adam Carnavale. Um, I absolutely love that dude. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know what, but I want to make things with Adam. I want to make a, so, you know, where it could be D&D or otherwise, but I just love bouncing off that dude. Um, uh, Mike Christensen from the Super Geek Mike channel coming on. Uh, very, very, um, I was going to say a different, I was going to say sapient, but that's not what I mean. I mean like an analogy for intelligent. That dude's very, uh, very sharp in the way that uh, uh, he kind of analyzes media and, and things. His channel's great. Go check it out. Uh, Sarah Caffey and Latia Jaquise making it so on sad. here. So sad. I missed that one. Ugh. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty great talking about uh, horror monsters. Uh, I feel like Sarah and I are on a wavelength as well, particularly with the dark fantasy horror-themed style stuff. I want to do a deep dive with them at some point. I saw Um, Sarah out of the periphery of my vision something like 20 times at PAX, and I got maybe five minutes of chat time with Sarah, and I'm so sad about that. I did the same thing. They they were they were at that event on Thursday night that we went to, mm-hmm. and I said to them each time I saw them, we need to to just geek out about you know horror horror fantasy or horror D and D games, and they were like, yes, we do. And then you know we never got that chance to kind of uh, float back together again. But um, uh, there's always next year, I suppose. Hopefully, uh, Anthony Joyce Rivera, who I mentioned, was a joy to have on uh, the Lawcast at GenCon in person. That was really great. Uh, Omar Najam. Um, uh, was really fantastic. I still enjoy his story about uh, time travel uh, in their D and D game and how it completely, on a live play, resets the timeline of their campaign. Uh, Peter Lee coming on, uh, providing a bit of a history of uh, board games that they've worked on, including uh, Lords of Waterdeep, right up to Aberration, which we launched earlier this year. Uh, and then, last but not least, someone who had almost been two years. Since Logan Reese uh, had arrived on the Lawcast, it was really great having Logan back. I missed having Logan on here. Um, uh, I, I've capitalized the airtime just to get make sure we got a mention for everybody. But any any specific callouts that uh, you folks want to do? God, there are so few episodes that I was on in which there was a guest because usually it's because yeah. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm just looking back. Through, uh, you know, I want to I want to really highlight the two people who were on our PAX Oz panel uh, who were yes. V. Hendra and Healy Gordon. They were fantastic. And I, I wish I had had just like a whole lunch hour to chat about indie mm. games with the two of them, because I, I, I feel like we could we could chat for hours. I'm glad you you brought those two up uh, qu- uh, quickly with Phil Beckwith, who was also on that panel, yes. uh, ex Ghostfire staff, because that is going to be the episode of the Lawcast 
next week uh, mm. while we take a take a week off. So I was going to say, Haley Gordon's another one that I'm really sad that I didn't get to chat to because I love Story Brewers. Uh, they're fantastic. That that panel about kind of. Uh, we called it from homebrew to hardcover, breaking into the industry from, you know, different uh, avenues, different ways to do it, different expertise, all the things you need um, if you want to get your content from homebrew to hardcover. Um, and all three of the the um, guests that we had on had uh, really fantastic insights. And I suppose James did too. Um, well, thank you for each of those folks. We hope to have uh, all of them on again next year, uh, in all honesty, uh, as well as many, many others. Our central four, plus Dante, are the Eldritch Lawcast. So for our final award, uh, when we were last with our Heroes Award, um, just shouting out any favourite uh, kind of moments from the Lawcast this last year, including any... E- I don't know if you folks go and watch the YouTube, but sometimes there are just some absolutely hilarious edits that Dante throws in there after the fact. Um, uh, so if, if there's anything that jumps out at your uh, from your memory... Who are you people? I need to shout out the five minute rant Dale went on <laughs> just yes. a few episodes ago. Yes. That will live in my mind forever. Tragedy, this is a quote, tragedy is an imitation of an action that is admirable, complete, and possesses magnitude, affecting through pity and fear the purification or the purging of such emotions. So we're talking about catharsis there, rules and restrictions that are adhered to in the name of creating a sort of new virtual reality places within which special rules obtain all are temporary worlds within the ordinary world dedicated to the performance of an actor part which julian dibble describes as the body-like self-representation we carry around in our heads so our psychic double can experience that can experience things and and it makes those things in a sense real all right are we following i have had at least five different people who i don't even know come up to me and said dale is really smart like (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, I fooled them all. <laughs> no, there's definitely uh, the, the Dale TED talk is like mm-hmm. a a, um, a feature of the law cast that occasionally shows itself. The story of Chad, honestly, is one of my favorite Dale TED talks mm. as well. That's just uh, fantastic too. I'm, I'm glad. glad. I love the story of Chad. A couple of weeks out from San Diego Comic Con, I'm slated to be on a paddle. I called my cousin who lived in San Diego for a long time. So she hooked me up with some friends that I could stay with at the last minute. I was texting with one of them. His name was Chad. He was the most San Diego guy you could imagine. He was a surfer guy. He was like, hey, dude, yeah, like, yeah, my name is Chad. Like, that's how he talked. And he and he also was a hacker. He we, he had long, <laughs> long speeches about how he missed the days of, you know, these these actual real hacker conventions. And now they're all fakes. But, you know, that was that was the thing. I was meant to go and stay at his place. And so I meet Chad at this boat. It's like, yeah, hey, what kind of like level of degree do you have? Because, you know, everyone needs a master's these days. Like it was the weirdest conversation. And then he takes me. He's like, actually, you're not going to stay at my place. Here's what I've got for you. And he basically he apparently had this like rich aunt who lived at this like $5 million beach house in San Diego and she was away for the weekend. And so I was staying at her place and then I was there the whole time. But he said, you know, she might show up at some point, but you know, she spends most of the weekend staying at the home of her young lover. And I was like, what is going on? And then, and so I, then I'm staying in this exclusive, 
extremely rich place and I didn't know what to do. I just got myself really freaked out that she was going to come home at some point and I wouldn't know that she was home. So I just tried to spend all of my time out of the house. And then on the last day, I did come downstairs and there was a glass on the kitchen bench with lipstick stain on it. And then I tried to give the key back to Chad, but he never got back to me. He said, just throw it in the trash. Just throw the key in the trash. (laughs) What? What do you mean? I kept it. It's hanging up in a frame in my room. Anyway. The Ballad of Chad. There's the key. Uh, There's the key right there. <laughs> we need Jack Black to sing a song about the Ballad of Chad. <laughs> I, I, I've actually been saving James Hake quotes because I was going to do a Twitter thread of my yes. favourite James Hake quotes. I did call these James Hake sass. I'm not sure if James Hake appreciates me calling them sass, but they just make me laugh every time uh, I think about them. Which is when, all right, so these are my three favourites that I could remember. We were talking about Twitter. Move across. In Blue Sky. Oh, my god! Move across. This is what uh, life is now. Post in, it really is. I don't even know which social media app I have open half the time anymore, like as well, I bounce between them. When the Roman Empire fell, dozens of city-states rose to fill the power vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> we are but Visigoths roaming the countryside now, the digital countryside. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Which cracks me up every time. Um, uh, This next one, uh, speaking of when uh, the uh, SRD went into the Creative Commons, we were talking about Black Flag and James said something along the lines of, we've been wondering what uh, we'll need to change to convert fables into Black Flag. Well, big picture, uh, we will probably be able to make it compatible with Black Flag without doing anything. (laughs) Uh, and last but not least, uh, this one we were talking about our favorite incorporeal undead. If I were faced with uh, horrors beyond my comprehension, I would simply comprehend it. Skill issue for the Alep, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is very true. Um, and there are probably similar quotes from previous years that I've enjoyed just as much. I feel like every now and then without meaning to, I say something that really comes off as rather mean. <laughs> I never mean it that way. <laughs> I don't think mean. I don't think of those as being mean or cruel. They're just they're just funny. I mean the the one that uh the one that I get uh, that gets me with Sean, which is actually, I don't know if you know this, it's our teaser for uh, the Twitch channel. Let's start with this question. What are we doing here? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sean, do you feel like we have a direction now? Yeah, I think the the furniture is fine just the way it is. We're going to give it a light dusting and and off we go. Uh, Tell him he's dreaming. Um, (laughs) Nice reference. I, <laughs> Good reference for the Australians. Australians all laughed. Yeah. <laughs> I just look, it's <laughs> It's okay, Sean. We'll tell you about it when you're older. You don't have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scrambling. I'm trying to track down. There was a Dante edit. It's up there that you can play with mm. if you buy certain things and sort of you can link Are it pretty? to your campaign. What? Are they pretty? Yeah, yeah. The the maps Good. in maps <laughs> playing scape is D and D because it encapsulates uh, you know the history of D and D touches Planescape or is touched by Planescape um, and the future 
will be as well. Kind of uh, saying, suggesting that uh, Planescape is the perfect launching point for them to launch into uh, the rules refresh because it, uh, you know, encapsulates so much of what the game is. Making your animal people kind of a special thing, right? Every fantasy setting has a bird person. Apparently, I'm... <laughs> He's just gonna what? He's Sean, gonna don't leave what? us hanging. They got him the ethereal expense. <laughs> Setting guide available on Kickstarter now. 1,227 players got together. One yeah. of the top edits has to also be um, the Australian US uh, slang. What a budgie smugglers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Clean. Where, oh, where yes. was the? Uh, yes. Who wants to be a millionaire? Question. First, ask James Hay. All right, Flaming Sphere. In the new playtest, is in the Evocation School. What spell school is it from originally in the 2014 Conjuration? Correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I never watched the lore cast back because I can't stand to like see my own face listen to my own voice but i need to see that that sounds fantastic i'm telling you james after three months of editing videos of yourself you'll 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 go right past that it's you get used to it yeah yeah fair enough just get get yourself a dante why do you edit your own videos (laughs) sounds like a skill issue (laughs) (laughs) there we go Um, and of course, we we haven't done this live live recording. We are streaming this kind of post recording because uh, we wanted to take a week off. Sorry, uh, Twitch chat. But uh, a quick thank you to each of you for being here uh, throughout the last year. I won't start naming names because I will inevitably forget people. Uh, but uh, you know, we we recognise those that come back week after week to join in and chat, uh, and we really appreciate having you all there. Uh, week after week to chat with us live uh, asking questions in the YouTubes or on the Spotify um, is also really appreciated in those comments sorry we don't read the Unearthed Arcanas quite as thoroughly uh, as folks would like but we often have to read them an hour before. I still disagree with people about the monk. I'm soaking these fires, <laughs> all right? Everyone in the comments was treating it as though we're wrong about the monk. No, I just disagree with you. Yeah, UA monk, actually good. I was shocked that the controversy wasn't our very um, light praise of Pathfinder, uh, but maybe that could be its own award category as the Eldritch Lawcast Controversy of the Year, <laughs> um, uh, being the Pathfinder episode and the monk uh, uh, misreading, I suppose. Should I be antagonist? Organizing the people commenting on our, on yeah. our podcast. <laughs> As Dante says, it's all engagement, you know. It's all engagement. Let's uh Who else will tell them how wrong they are if not us? Hey. Hey um, uh, and with that, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Lawcast, or if you've been with us enjoying previous episodes of the Lawcast, we really appreciate you being here tuning in. Um, if you like the episode, if you give us a five-star review on a podcast catcher, whatever you're listening to us on, uh, helps us get out to more people. We've had a lot of new people. Actually, that's what I should have done. It's too late now, but uh, I looked at our Spotify wrapped. Um, I should have ended this episode by quickly going through that. The The, the statistics I can remember is... 68% of our listeners through Spotify 
were new to the Lawcast this year. Um, so uh, that's really cool. Yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, we were also the top podcast, I want to say, for about 198 people, um, and in the <laughs> top 10 for about 900 people, off the top of my head. So. Uh, maybe that's giving away too much of our analytics, but uh, thank you all of those folks um, uh, who keep tuning in week after week. Uh, we will be back next week with our PAX panel from PAX Australia, so look forward to that. And then we will be back in the new year uh, on the 1st, I believe, of January is when we're recording our first new episode of the year, 2nd, if you're living in Australia, uh, of January. Uh, but in the meanwhile, I've been Ben Byrne, joined as always by Sean Merwin, Dale Kingsmill, James Hake, and we'll be back next week for another episode of the number one podcast of tabletop RPGs in all the realm. I feel like we need a big band version of the Eldritch Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah, yeah. I'll take my trombone out of mothballs. <laughs> <laughs>